Well, we are in the midst of a series. Actually, we're wrapping up a series uh, that we've been in for, <coughs> excuse me, the last month called Praying for Rain. And I want to start this morning with a question for you. Are you aware of certain situations or seasons that come up in your life where you just know it's going to be harder for you to be a Christian? You aware of those times, you think about those times where you just know certain situations, certain places that you go, certain people that you're around, where you just know that you're going to be tempted to do something or to think or to act in a certain way. Maybe it's at a family reunion when the in-laws come in. Maybe it's uh, someone at work and when you're around them, it's just, you know you're going to be, be tempted. It's just hard for you. Maybe it's just a season of life. That, for, that, you're, that you're going through. Maybe for some of you, it's before you have your cup of coffee in the morning, right? You, some of you are just are not saved before you have that cup of coffee in, in the morning. You know I'm right. I, you know, it's not something to joke about. You, you need that. Uh, it reminds me of one guy who, who prayed, Dear Lord, so far today I've done all right. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy or grumpy or nasty or selfish. And I'm really glad about that. But in just a moment, God, I'm going to get out of bed, and from then on, I'm going to need a lot more help. <coughs> but in all seriousness, we, we have these times and these moments where we know that we're going to go through some temptation. Now, the good news is Jesus teaches us to pray. And we saw last time that we have a really, really good father. And when we stumble, we know that we can come to him and we can confess him to him. And we know that he forgives us of our debts and of our sins. But because he is a really good father, he would like for us to stay out of debt as much as possible. And that's why Jesus has a very important last line that he wants to teach us as we wrap up our series today. And as we're talking about and learning how to pray for rain. So as we wrap up our series today, let's say the Lord's Prayer one more time together. And as I've told you, I'm not going to put the words up on the screen. Hopefully you have memorized it at this point. Uh, if you haven't, then the series is going to be over after today. But that doesn't mean you, can, you have to stop saying the Lord's Prayer. I, I, I hope you continue doing that. And uh, it's always good to memorize Scripture. Uh, it's always good to pray for things. I, I think this is a great prayer. And, you know, I, I, growing up, I, I wasn't always... Um, I didn't grow up in, 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 a, in a church that really emphasized some of, you know, more uh, rote and repetitious prayers, and, and many of you maybe didn't either. Uh, but I think there's a place for that. I think there's a place for, for saying the Lord's Prayer and saying the, some of the prayers in the Psalms and those kind of things. I think those are good prayers to say. Anything that causes us to ask for things that Jesus says we ought to pray for is a good prayer to pray. And so I think this will help you better connect to God. Uh, if you learn and memorize the Lord's Prayer. So let's say it uh, all together uh, one more time. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now remember, that prayer has a context. That prayer, is in the, or that prayer is in a sermon that we call often the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. But do you remember 
what happens in Matthew chapter 4, before the Sermon on the Mount. Right before this sermon, Jesus goes through an, a season of intense temptation. And the enemy comes at Jesus full throttle with everything he has. I don't think it's a coincidence then that as Jesus teaches us how to pray, he remembers the reality of temptation. Jesus knows that if you want to live under the reign of God, you're going to come under attack. And so he says that we pray in awareness of an enemy kingdom. We pray with the awareness that there is an enemy kingdom. You see, followers of Jesus have a unique diagnosis of reality. And I think this is one of the, the stumbling blocks for a lot of people uh, when, when it comes to believing in Jesus and believing all of these things. I mean, there's some things that that, that maybe some of you struggle with this, that you believe about Jesus, you buy into, but it's the supernatural that sometimes we have a hard time wrapping our minds around. And for a lot of people, that can be a huge stumbling block in their walk uh, of faith. But there is a reason why Christians view the world in the way that we view the world, because we believe that what happens in the visible world is rooted in and impacted by the existence of an invisible world. More specifically, we do not believe that evil is just some abstract force, but we believe that evil has its origins in a personality. And we believe that because Jesus believed that. When Jesus taught us to pray, the final thing that he said to us was, you've got to remember, there's an enemy kingdom. There is an enemy kingdom. And lead us not into temptation, he says, but deliver us from the evil one. That the evil problem is ultimately a devil problem. And every single New Testament writer mentions something about the devil. And so it simply isn't possible to have a Christian worldview and to think that evil is just some <coughs> abstract force. More specifically, Jesus mentioned a, 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 an, an evil personality 25 times in his teachings and his preaching. He called the devil or the enemy or the evil one or Satan. And we need to know this. This is important to know this because this isn't just a prayer that Jesus taught. This is a prayer that Jesus prayed. This is how he prayed. The night before he died, he petitioned the father in John chapter 17. Here's what he says, speaking about his disciples. He says in verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. And so Jesus didn't just teach it, he prayed it. He lived it. He, he prayed with the awareness of an enemy kingdom. I don't know if we always pray with that. We pray for certain things, but, but do, we, do we always have in the back of our minds or in the forefront of our minds the awareness that there is an enemy <coughs> kingdom? He prayed with that awareness that these two kingdoms, that an enemy kingdom and God's kingdom, are in conflict with each other. And Jesus knew there's not going to be a peace treaty, right? These two sides aren't going to come together and find some neutral ground because both sides have one goal in mind to completely destroy the other. And so as Jesus is teaching us this prayer, teaching us how to pray for what God wants instead of what we want, here's what he's saying. If you line up your priorities under the the the, the priorities of this prayer that I'm teaching you, you're going to come under assault, just like I do. And so this prayer teaches us to confess our vulnerability and to profess our need 
for vigilance, to be alert, to be awake, to open our eyes to what's going on. That's why the, you had this command throughout all of the New Testament to, to, to keep our eyes open, to be alert. Like in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Not just to, 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 to pounce, but to, to, to devour. The New Testament is constantly reminding us that this is real. There is a malevolent personality. We're not just walking through life. There is a malevolent personality who wants to destroy you. And so you better stay vigilant. You know, there's a very popular phrase that we often use. And maybe you've thought of it through this sermon series as we're talking about prayer. But you often hear the phrase, and I'm guessing some of you have probably used that. I know I have before. Uh, but we'll say something to the effect of, well, they're, just, they're a prayer warrior. You know, we'll say, I, I need my prayer warriors to step up. And I get that phrase. But one of the issues I have with that phrase is that it kind of more or less implies that some of us are warriors in prayer and others of us aren't, right? But the reality is we're all in battle. And every single one of us better be in war in prayer. We all need to be prayer warriors. Because if you're not, you're going to be a dead warrior. Dealing with the enemy kingdom is, in prayer is for every single one of us. And every single one of us needs to be praying for every single one of us. One of my favorite passages, and it's probably some of yours as well, is in Ephesians chapter 6. I love that whole section where uh, Paul is talking about the armor of God. And you know that passage that I'm talking about. It's just an awesome, you know, rah-rah. Probably more for us guys, we like that, that kind of stuff. But it's a great passage. But you know the context of that passage Paul is talking about spiritual warfare. He's talking about the war that's going on in the invisible world all around us. He says this in verse 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against what you can see. Rather, it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so he says that's why you better put the armor on. That's why you better put on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. You better fit your feet with the gospel of peace. You better take up the shield of faith and, and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And after he talks about all of that, all of that, the very last thing he says about this is in verse 18. He says, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's People. That's how he wraps it up. Because the other thing Jesus is teaching us is that the way we hang in there in this battle is that we do it with the help of the prayers of others. We hang in there with the help of the prayers of each other. And by the way, I haven't really talked about this a whole lot yet. And maybe some of you have already drawn this conclusion as you look at the Lord's Prayer and some of the details of it. But I, I think this is so very important uh, this aspect that I'm about to talk about. Again, Jesus is teaching us how to pray, and I think it's so significant that he doesn't teach us how to pray as individuals. He teaches us how to pray as a church. And so you look at the Lord's Prayer, and I, I don't have it up here. I guess I should have put it up here, but you, you look at the Lord's Prayer again. It's Ma Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Every single pronoun in the Lord's Prayer is plural. They're all plural. Give us... Forgive us as we forgive others. 
and lead us and deliver us. The very first word of the Lord's Prayer is what? Our. Our Father. And so the very first thing Jesus teaches you about prayer is that when you talk to God, you better remember you're not his only kid. Okay? He's got other kids. And so everything Jesus teaches us about prayer is teaching us to remember that discipleship, what we're doing when we do life, that's a team sport. It's not an individual endeavor. It is a team sport. We're in this together. That's why we, uh, one of the reasons why we encourage you to get involved and to fellowship with each other, to grow together, to do life together. We, and we get that from Jesus. We don't just make that up on the fly. We get that from Jesus. It's what he taught. It's how he lived because it's how we're made. It's how you and I were made and created. We are made in the image of a God who is community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's how God lives, and that's how we are called and need to live. And even secular research, by the way, confirms this. And there was a research study done by a sociologist named Robert Putnam, and for four, uh, 50 years, he studied the, what, you know, what causes the highest degree of life satisfaction in, in cultures all over the world. So you can just study, you know, Western culture. You study cultures all over the world. What causes the highest degree of life satisfaction? And he came to one profound conclusion. Research was overwhelming. The single highest indicator of life satisfaction, no matter where in the world you are, no matter what culture you're a part of, the single highest indicator of life satisfaction is this, the breadth and depth of your relationships. That is the single highest indicator of life satisfaction. In fact, he found that if you're not living in community, I found this so, so interesting. He found that if you're not living in community and you get into a community, you cut your chances of dying in the next year in half. And so I figured we could have a new motto here at 20th Street. Get involved or die. How does that sound? Get connected or die. I mean, that research seems to, to indicate that, right? So, but, but seriously, I mean, that's, that's, that's why we do stuff together. That's why we worship together. That's why we have Bible studies. That's why we're having a church picnic tonight. And I hope you all will come because we want to get together. That's why we are going to start up our small groups again. That's why we do these things together. And this is not just a, a church thing. This is a Jesus thing. This is how he taught us and told us to live. I mean, you think about it. You, you ever watch those nature shows and you see the lion eating? Before that, what you see or what you don't see is him running into the middle of the herd. What does he do? Picks up the straggler, right? It's that old line. I don't have to be fast. I just have to be, I don't have to be faster than the lion. I just have to be faster than you, right? But, but he picks on the straggler and the enemy prowls on. The disconnected and isolated Christian. That's just the reality. And so the Lord's Prayer remind, reminds us that, that we don't meet the enemy alone. Now that doesn't mean I can always be there in person, but it does mean I can always be there in prayer. And God delivers when the church intercedes. Let me give you a couple of examples of this. Paul in Philippians chapter 1 verse 19 says, For I know that as you pray for me, and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me. This will lead to my deliverance. So the leverage comes from the work of the Spirit of God in conjunction with the prayers 
of the church. Or look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Paul writes, God has delivered us from such deadly peril, and He will deliver us again. On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. I don't know how many of you have seen the, the movie Hacksaw Ridge. Um, it's a pretty intense movie, really good movie. Uh, it tells the story of a guy by the name of, of Private Desmond Doss. Doss was a young man in World War II who had, had strong convictions, very strong Christian convictions. And he just believed that, that he, he thought it was wrong for him to take a life. He said, I, I cannot take a life, but I will serve my country. I want to serve my country. And so he joined the army, wanted to be a medic, and they would not allow it. They thought that uh, if they assigned him to a rifle unit, which they did, that eventually they could break him and peer pressure would get him to change his convictions. But he never did. He said, I won't carry a gun, but I will serve my country. And he was detested by his fellow soldiers. When he'd pray at night, they'd throw boots at him. They tried to court-martial him. But he continued to hold on to his convictions. And so they're at the Battle of uh, Hacksaw Ridge, and they're there in the Pacific, one of the deadliest battles in, uh, in, in the war. And under intense enemy fire, Private Doss, without a gun, literally saved in one battle 75 lives at great risk of his own. And the esteem he won from his fellow soldiers was so great that the next day, as they're about to go into battle, the, the, the final battle to take the rest of the ridge, they were 10 minutes late going into battle to start their assault. And the commanding officer calls the, the captain who's in charge, and with some pretty strong language, he says, why haven't you started the assault? And the captain says, well, we're waiting, sir. And the commanding officer says, well, what are you waiting for? And the captain said, we're waiting on Private Doss to finish praying for us. Sir, they wouldn't go into battle until they were covered in his prayers. And that's how we're supposed to live. Amen. That the church delivers prayers to heaven and heaven delivers deliverance to the church. Because that's where deliverance comes from. It doesn't come from us. We trust in the delivering power of God. That's where our deliverance comes comes from. We do not trust in, in our power to deliver ourselves, and yet far too often, for far too many of us, that's exactly what we try to do. We try to deliver ourselves. We try to trust in our own power, and we think that if we can just grit our teeth and, and, and use our power, we can solve it. We can figure it out, but you're not going to experience victory over the enemy in your own strength. Not going to happen. That's why Jesus taught us to pray. You see, this prayer is a confession that God alone is in the delivery business. And would Jesus ask us to pray for something that wasn't available? The Bible says about Jesus in John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. That's the reason he came. Jesus taught us to ask for deliverance because Jesus knew he could deliver the answer. He knew deliverance was coming because Jesus knew where he was going. You see, every single page of the Bible shouts the gospel. 
Every single page of it shouts the gospel. Remember how we talked about last time that how we, we all were in debt to God, a debt we could not pay. We cannot pay on our own, that Jesus had to pay our debt to God. I, I love how the book of Colossians puts it in chapter 2, verse 14. He canceled our debts and he took them and he nailed them to a cross. That's what he did. That's a beautiful picture. But on the cross, he didn't just take away our penalty. He took away the power of sin to keep us in bondage. So the very next verse, verse 15 says, God stripped the spiritual rulers and powers of their authority. And with the cross, he won the victory and showed the, showed the world that they were powerless. I love that. You see, you haven't just been delivered from the penalty of your sin. Whatever bondage that the enemy had you in, that he was keeping you in, he has lost all rightful claim over you now. And so when you, in Jesus' name, bow down, the enemy has got to back off. That's why Jesus, or James, the brother of Jesus, could write in James chapter 4, verse 7, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Notice that James does not just say, resist the devil and he will flee from you. What does he say? Submit yourselves to God. You come in the name of Jesus. You come covered in the blood of the cross. Then you resist the devil and he will flee from you. You see, Jesus is teaching us that prayer is a defiant act of resistance. And once again, I remind you, that's not just what he taught us to do. It's what he did. It's how he prayed. Remember where Jesus had been right before he teaches this, uh, this, this lesson on prayer, right before he preaches this sermon. He'd been out in the wilderness with all of hell coming at him in full force. Everything the enemy had. And he resists the devil and made him leave. And you say, well, yeah, that's Jesus. Duh. But go back and read Matthew 4. Does Jesus do anything supernatural in Matthew chapter 4? Anything that we're not capable of doing. Jesus comes into battle as a man with two weapons. The word of God and prayer. Same things you and I have available to us. You see, through prayer, we are bringing invisible authority to bear on visible Reality. We have no idea what's going on in the heavenly realms, realms when we pray. And so as followers of Jesus, we, we do not define reality only by what we see. There's a story I, I love, I uh, heard some time ago. Uh, back in the 1930s, there was a young doctor in Germany named Herbert Gesork, who was actually fortunate that because of his Christian convictions, he was not executed, but rather he was exiled actually got to come to America. But he's walking the streets of Hamburg the night before he's about to be deported to, to, to America, and he's just, he's just heavy. He, he's just depressed. He's heavy. And he feels just this demonic darkness that has descended on this place that he loves, this land that he loves. He's born there. He loves uh, his homeland. And he's thinking to himself, how, you know, what hope is there for, for such a place so dark and fallen? And maybe we feel that way about 
where we live right now. I mean, there's some, some, some things that have got us depressed and, and, and some things that are going on. And so he, he, he's, he's just feeling this weight on his shoulders and then he hears music. And he walks down the street and he hears it closer, getting closer and closer. And, and as he gets closer, there's organ music coming out of a church. And it was Luther's great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, song we just sang no more than a few moments ago. And the words of one of the verses we sang came to his mind. And, and I'm going to read it. And, and maybe we just don't feel it as much when we sing it sometimes. And it's easy to just go through and sing these songs and not realize what it is we're singing. But listen to the words. And though this world with evil filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. For God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not at him. His rage we can't endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word will fell him. And that word is Jesus. And it may be a little word, but it proclaims a huge victory. And that's what Jesus is doing when he teaches us to pray, that we really are in a struggle with an enemy kingdom, but we're not praying in vain. We're praying in hope of the day when only one kingdom will be standing. You know, I've been asked, um, I, I don't know how many times, not like innumerable amount of times, but some of you have asked me this question and I probably asked it when I was younger too or didn't know and I still don't have a really great answer to it, but uh, asked about the origins of the devil. Where did the devil come from? What do we know about uh, his origins? And, and I have to be honest and say, I don't really know. I, I mean, I can only kind of speculate. We don't have a whole lot in Scripture that talks about where all, you know, what, what the full story of, of Satan's origins are, uh, because the Bible doesn't really talk about it a whole lot. But the Bible does talk a lot about where Satan is going. So I don't know a whole lot about where his origins are but I do know a whole lot about what his destination is and so listen when we pray your kingdom come it's the heart of the prayer it's the heart of everything we've been talking about for the last four weeks learn to pray for what God wants and what God wants is for his reign to cover the earth and you need to know that when you pray, your kingdom come, we're not praying in vain. That's a prayer that will be answered. John got a glimpse of this in his revelation. In Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 through 17. He says, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah. And he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who were seated on the thrones, on their thrones before God, fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. You see, the kingdom is coming, and the enemy will be destroyed, and deliverance is coming to the whole 
earth. When we pray your kingdom come, we're praying a prayer that's going to be answered. That's why there is nothing more important that we can do than to build the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I will build my church and I will, it will take on the gates of hell and it will prevail. That's why there is nothing more important, nothing more eternal, nothing more assured of victory than anything you do that builds and pours into the church of Jesus Christ. Because it will prevail and the kingdom will come and deliverance is coming to the whole earth. That because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, hell took a blow that it will never be able to recover from. And God is going to have what he built, what he created, what he wants, and deliverance is coming, and the earth is going to be restored, and it's all going to be made new, and that's what we're praying for. That's what we're praying for. And our prayers are going to get answered. And God is asking you and me to be a part of this, this great story of triumph. And the first way we do it is we learn to pray every single day, Lord, I want to be reigned on. And so I hope this is your prayer this week. Lord, reign in us. Reign in me as a witness that you will reign in all. Reign in us as a witness that you will reign in all. In all, that our prayer is that our daily deliverance will be a witness to the world of what God is going to do in all of creation. That as people see you and me being delivered from, from greed and lust and anger and selfishness, as God reigns in us, we become a witness of what God is going to bring to the whole earth one day. Because the day will come. When we won't have to ask God anymore to deliver us from evil. Because we will be delivered. And we pray for that day. And we deliver that message.